Mitty, I got a surprise for you. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I, I love surprises, but I hate waiting. <laughs> what does that make me? Uh, just like every other 10-year-old girl. But this surprise is one you're gonna love. Cue the clip. I drive deep left field. Bautista with another home run. <sighs> oh my god. You got Bautista. No, you idiot. I got the guy who's actually been to a World Series. Uh, that makes more sense. Let's do this. This is the Smitty and Mitty Show featuring special guest, Dan Shulman. Smitty and Mitty Show back at you again for another week. That's not a lie, Mitty. That is not a lie. Dan Shulman will be joining us later on in the show. I still have goose... Like, look, touch my leg. Touch my leg. Goosebumps. There's the goosebumps on there. Yeah, there is. There we just finished there. talking to Dan Shulman. Later on in the show, we will play that interview with Dan Shulman. Uh, as professional as they come in the business, and really quite an honor to have him on with us uh, for this episode. You can tell like how, how uh, awkward we are during the whole thing. We're just so scared, and then he's just he just picks up and he's the professional and just takes it, tells his stories. But what, like we could tell how terrified yeah. we were. Yeah, really. Uh, Dan Shulman will play that in uh, in a few minutes here. But first, uh, while we're on the topic of baseball, let's talk a little bit about those Blue Jays playoff race. Did you ever think we were going to be talking about that in 2020? Here we are, a few weeks left to go in this shortened season, and the Blue Jays are looking like they're going to be playing playoff baseball. Man, a couple of weeks into the season, they had a 42% or just start of the year. They had a 42% chance of making the playoffs. It went all the way down to like 32, and now they're at a 91% chance of making the playoffs. It would take an absolute fart to, to slip out now. Second place in the AL East as of right now, which is... Uh, 25 and 20. Yeah, good for, good for a playoff spot. And like you said, it would take... Uh, well, it takes some not great baseball for the Blue Jays to fall out of that playoff spot. And uh, you know what? It's exciting. It's exciting to see the Blue Jays get a chance to play in the postseason. I'm going to be, it's really intriguing to me. It's going to be interesting to see, is the postseason going to be the same without fans? It's cer- certainly not going to feel like it. No. But for us as Blue Jays fans, it's certainly going to be exciting nonetheless. Yeah, to get ourselves all excited for the interview, we were watching... Uh some Dan Shulman calls and it was just like you forget what the atmosphere is like just with some fans in the crowd like it's going to be completely different the best part is playoff baseball with the crowd just gets all up and down and up and down and up and down but you're not going to feel that without the without the uh, fans there I think it's going to suck but it's playoff baseball yeah it's playoff baseball and uh, the Blue Jays there earlier than expected albeit with a a shortened season and extended and uh, more teams in the playoffs I think what we saw was this team's going to go as far as their starting pitching takes them because like their bullpen's good, but they can't, they're not good enough to come into the fourth inning. Like when Jay or third inning, when Chase Anderson absolutely implodes on himself, they're going to give up 19 runs or 18 runs or whatever the hell they ended up giving up. Didn't watch a lot of that game. Yeah, I didn't watch a lot of that Mets game where they, uh, they got destroyed. Well, it was side by side with the Raps, so I wasn't going to. It wasn't very fun to watch, but I mean, um, you know, the Jays and we, we do talk a little bit about, the Blue Jays and what's going on right now with with Dan, which we'll hear in a little bit. But they're an exciting wait, team wait. to watch. Dan Shulman. <laughs> Dan Shulman. Shulman. They're an exciting team to watch, but they're going to be making mistakes down the road, and we're going to see that. That's I think a thing that's going to be frustrating for a lot of Blue Jays fans to watch um, this postseason baseball with a team that's going to be making a lot of mental mistakes. 
which has a casual fan, they're not going to notice a lot of them because a lot of them are just like baseball mental mistakes. So it's not really like out in the forefront. But uh, yeah, they they definitely make a lot of mistakes. Even last, they tried to blow it last night with Alejandro Kirk, who we're going to talk about here in a sec, making yep. his MLB debut. Uh, he he does that weird one knee thing, and it just doesn't with a run like it doesn't put you in a very athletic spot for a ball in the dirt. Like you need to be able to get over there, and he didn't shift over very well. He's a big boy. And that ball gets to the backstop after a strike three, and it didn't end up costing them, thank God. But, like, those are just the little mistakes. That's I don't like that little knee thing. You're seeing more and more catchers go with that setup nowadays, certainly more than we've ever seen before in baseball. They go down to that one knee, like you mentioned. I think it puts you in a better position to throw out the runner, but it doesn't put you in a good position to block a ball. And it, I think all it is is it gives you a better – chance to get to those low balls and it's just kind of a confidence builder for the pitcher because like you said it's not easy to block so he's trusting you're gonna hit him right in the chest but I think it's that it's easy to suck a ball from just below the zone up to your chest um but I, it doesn't it look very athletic to me it doesn't look like it puts you in an athletic spot on that note though Alejandro Kirk uh, called up for the Blue Jays this past weekend against the Mets makes his major league debut goes one for three grabs his first base hit the thing that is really, uh, I don't want to say impressed me, but the thing that I've really enjoyed watching about the Blue Jays this year is that all these guys have come up together, so they are all so excited for when someone gets their first hit, when someone does this, when someone comes up. The energy is, I think, something we haven't seen with the Blue Jays team in how long? Like, forever. Like, this Blue Jays team, the fact that they all came up together, it's exciting to watch. It's something that Dan and... Uh... Dan Shulman, who we just talked to, and Buck Martinez, something that they talk about a lot is the team just doesn't know any better. They don't they don't know they're supposed to be bad. They've been winning the whole they're not bad, but they don't know they're supposed to be young. They've been winning the whole way up. And now they're just they put themselves in a spot to win. Well and people talk about that all the time. Um is it better in the minor leagues to work on developing guys, or is it better in the minor leagues to teach them how to win? And for this group of Blue Jays guys, like you said, they've come all all up together. They've been winning on their way up. That's what they know how to do. So when they come up here, and I think for them, when they come up here and they don't win, that's enough motivation for them to go out there and play better the next game. Then they're not dumb. Like, um, Vladdy right now, he knows he's not playing his best baseball. Like, he's not dumb about it, but they're willing to do those small things still, and they're able to do that one thing to put the team over the top and win that night. And you can see it when they win. They're just they're having so much fun playing baseball, and that's what baseball is. And you play better when you're playing loose and fun. We mentioned the Blue Jays uh, called up Alejandro Kirk, which helps them in the catching position. So what do you think? Do you think after Kirk playing, uh, he looked pretty good last night. Like, again, Sunday morning because we had to talk to Dan. So we're in the morning here. Um, but, like, he played pretty well there. Do you think that puts pressure on Danny Jansen like how 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 many times does he have to play well before he gets to play four times a week because I think right now or three times a week because right now he's probably slotted into that one or two game a week kind of slot well I mean you look at the stats numbers and I know I talked to you um, before we came on to record today the Blue Jays catchers this season have not been hitting well at all a combined average which is the lowest in the major leagues I think they're hitting just over 100 that is not good so if you can have a guy that's going to come up here, and even if Kirk comes up here and hits 225, 250, he's going to be in the lineup. He's going to be in the lineup going forward for the Jays. And to be honest with you, 
if he brings the energy as well, I think you slot him in there more often than not. Everyone says he's like they say he can hit a line drive off anything, right? And he doesn't hurt you defensively in any way, shape, or form. I don't think he's not gonna. He's not like a Yadier Molina kind of defensive catcher, but he's not gonna hurt you. And he can if he can swing the bat. Why the hell not? Like you're you're missing Tay Oscar. Uh, Rowdy is probably out for the season. You just get Bo back. You need some bats. You need somebody yeah. to hit a baseball. You need the bats. Uh, getting Bo back on that note is huge for this Blue Jays team. Um, you could see it in, in his first game back over the weekend. Fantastic to have him back in the lineup for the Blue Jays, and I think it's really going to help them down the stretch when they do have some tough competition in these final few weeks of the regular season. We mentioned it's going to take a lot for them not to make the playoffs at this point, I think, but they need to keep on you know, at least playing – at 500, keep playing that good baseball. Yeah, he. I mean, he looked really good rounding third, I think, going home and then running back to third when he had to go back. <laughs> um, he, yeah, he, he's a spark of this team, and he needs to be able to um, get some at-bats in before you get to that playoffs. Like, it's going to be tough for Tay Oscar. They're saying he's starting to swing, he's starting to throw just off a tee, he's starting to hit. Um, but it's good signs, but he needs to get back within the next week so we can get a week of at-bats before... Like we're only two weeks away yeah. here from from the playoffs. Yeah, two weeks away from the from the postseason, and you know it's going to be an exciting postseason. Uh, you wanted to before we move on. Um, you wanted to talk about the Blue Jays and their sixth innings so far this season. The stats really outstanding. How much better they are hitting in the sixth inning, and I know you can say what you want about that. Is there anything to that? So yeah, I was looking at the advanced stats last night. And in the sixth inning, they're hitting uh, .346 with a .427 on base percentage, and 13 tied with 13 home runs, um, but 15 more runs scored than the next inning at 45. Like the those differences, that's the four or the .346 is something like 50 points higher, or almost 100 points higher. Actually, I think they're hitting .250 something as a team throughout the rest of the other innings. So. I don't know what that would be from. Is that that could be the third time through the order? Yeah, third time through the order, end of the starter maybe. But you're looking at like Getting the ten the run inning was off of Chad Green, right? Yeah. And that's your first guy out of the bullpen, so it's it's almost like seeing a new pitcher like helps them. It's almost like they they see it better coming out of the hand of a new pitcher or the third time through the order. Yeah, it's really interesting that you brought that up because. It could be a number of things. It could be, you know, like you mentioned, a third time through the order against the starter or even, you know, just guys getting settled into a game. I know the Blue Jays, I don't know the exact stat, but they haven't had exactly fantastic starts to games, but they kind of worked their way in through that middle half of the game into the later portions of the game. The amount of one-run ball games the Blue Jays have had late this season is incredible. Like, it's very stressful for a fan watching. But I think there's something like 19 and 9 in one-run games. Yeah. So so they're winning more of them than not. And for a young team, that's impressive. Absolutely. What do you think about, because on Twitter I was having this kind of, not argument, but talk with your uh, co-host of the Majors games there, Dylan Baker. We were kind of going back and forth um, about Tanner Roark coming out 68 pitches, I believe. Only four innings complete. And he was not happy after the game. He voiced his displeasure. Yeah, he was upset. That it's way too early for me. Like the reason he gets sixty-eight pitches through four innings is because he's being efficient. He only gave up two solo shots. It was nothing. It was nothing incredible. He wasn't giving up balls off the wall, balls off the wall. It wasn't a Chase Anderson walking everybody. 
he was efficient. That's what he's there to do. And then you turn it over to a bullpen that doesn't get it done yet again. They they seem to be coming in. Or the earlier they come into the games, the worse they are. Yeah, I think uh, in that situation, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking at it, I'm still in the mindset, and obviously this is why I'm not a, a manager at any level, but I'm still in kind of that more old school mindset. I'm leaving guys in there until they show me that they shouldn't be in there. I, I don't pull guys early. I wouldn't pull guys early. I wouldn't have pulled Roark there. I, it's frustrating to see, and I think the fact that, like you mentioned, the bullpen didn't get it done just adds to that. I understand they went to Ross Stripling, so they wanted him to get uh, that fresh inning because he is a starter as by trade. But why not go to let, – let Roark start the inning. If he gets into trouble, you can go to a A.J. Cole, let's say. He can get you an out. It's not going to hurt him for the next day. He gets you one out. He gets you two outs. And then you go to Stripling to start the next inning. But let him prove that he that he's done. Like That's why he's there. He's a veteran. He needs to be able to pitch. I don't know. Dylan did not agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and everyone, of course, is going to have d- differing opinions on that. But the Blue Jays starters, you know, they haven't had a whole lot of guys go deep in the ball games, whether that's, you know, Montoyo pulling them early or the fact that they just haven't been able to get there. It seems like it changes every game, but uh, one thing for sure, the Blue Jays starters are going to have to be better down the stretch if they want to do well and, and move further in on the postseason. Um, Blue Jays, wish them best of luck down the stretch, Mitty. It's going to be exciting to watch. Go we Jays have go. very, very exciting guests this? to join uh, us No, now. just for everybody. So <laughs> we're emailing with Dan Schulman, which is incredible in the first place. And your first email you sent to him, <laughs> instead of saying, thanks, Dan, or can't wait to talk to you, your last slide just says, go, Jays, go. Why? 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 <laughs> There's the nerves coming through, man. Uh, for some reason, I just decided that go, Jays, go would be a good way to end off an email. <laughs> I don't think it is. The, with probably the most professional person I've ever uh, emailed with in my life. Uh, sometimes you make those decisions, and you know what? We're laughing about it now, so... Yeah, I bet he laughed about it at the time. <laughs> He's got a great look what I'm getting myself into. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we are very pleased to be joined by Mr. Dan Schulman now. Dan, first of all, thank you for joining us today, taking time out of your busy life to uh, come and talk to us a little bit. My pleasure. How are you guys doing today? Uh, I mean, we're talking to Mr. Dan Schulman, so how <laughs> can we really be? <laughs> well, not, not everybody has that same reaction when they talk to me, so I appreciate you guys making me feel good like that. <laughs> Well, I can tell you my, my palms are sweating. We've been, we've been sitting here since 8 a.m. ready to go, so we're, we're excited. Good. Good. So, Dan, uh, for a lot of people, obviously, they know your voice and they get to hear you on the Blue Jays broadcast. But for you, you got your start where a lot of people get their start, you know, a university station calling games at Western University. Tell us just a little bit about that and kind of how you got into broadcasting. Yeah, it was a total fluke. It was the uh, the first week of school, my, my first year at Western in 1985, and, and I actually wanted to write for the Western Gazette. I was always a huge sports fan. So I went to the uh, the main building on campus, UCC, and there was just a huge line to, uh, to volunteer at the Gazette. So I actually kind of bailed and was walking back towards my residence, and I walked past the door that said Radio Western and didn't know what it was, assumed it was a campus radio station. All it said on it was Radio Western knocked on the door and somebody said, come in. And I walked in and introduced myself and I asked them if this was the campus radio station. And they said, yes. And I said, you guys do sports? And they said, yes. And I said, do you need volunteers? And they said, yes. And I started 
working at the radio station there, um, helping out at the beginning. And then before long, I started calling some basketball and football games. Uh, a friend of mine and I started a talk show called From the Cheap Seats on, on the campus radio station. And for the first three years of my four years there, I was there a ton. I was doing, did a little bit of hockey too, but mostly basketball and football. Um, and it was like a place I hung out and made friends and uh, got a chance to be on the radio all the time. So it was totally a fluke. I, I, I didn't go into university. I didn't study journalism or broadcasting. I didn't intend to wind up on the radio. And, you know, who knows if the line is smaller at the Western Gazette, maybe I'm a, a writer or maybe I'm doing something totally different. Uh, I think we're all pretty thankful that you ended up in radio and you made that turn into, <laughs> into that radio booth. Um, so going all the way from being in an elevator in 1993 to calling uh, Jose Bautista's bad flip in, uh, what was that, 16? Yeah, um, 15, 15. 15. Um, you, you've seen some, uh, some pretty impressive Blue Jay calls and some pretty impressive Blue Jay moments. What's your favorite out of all those? That I've called or just? that I've been at in any capacity. Uh, whichever one you think is better. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the elevator reference you make is uh, Joe Carter hit his home run to win the World Series, and I was on my way to, uh, to the hotel lobby to host Jay's Talk, the postgame show, and was in the, uh, the freight elevator at what was then known as Sky Dome, and Joe Carter hit the home run. So I didn't actually see Joe Carter's home run. Uh, I would say in terms of moments I've called, it would be Jose Bautista's bat flip. I, I did the Jays games for TSN from 95 to 01 and then came back part-time with Sportsnet starting in 2016 and have done more since. So I haven't been there. I haven't, you know, I did call games in 92 and 93 when they won the World Series. So uh, I did the bat flip game for ESPN Radio. I do the playoffs every year for them. And I was lucky enough to be on the Bautista game. ESPN radio. So I would say that's probably the biggest moment that I've called. But, you know, just as uh, either as a kid or uh, in other capacities, I mean, I was at the first game ever, April 7th, 77. Uh, I was there with friends of my family, you know, 10 years old and going to the first Blue Jays game and was, you know, it's one of the uh, most exciting days of my life, I would think, when baseball came to Toronto. Um, I was at a lot of big of the big games in 92 and 93. I was the pre and post game show host then for the most part for Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth when they were doing the games on radio. So I was at a lot of those. But in terms of calling it, I would say the Bautista bat flip's probably number one. You, uh, you mentioned Mr. Tom Cheek there. You, we know that he was one of your uh, heroes. Um, were you as nervous meeting him the first time as we are meeting you? <laughs> well, you guys shouldn't be nervous meeting me. Um, but uh, yes, I, I was nervous meeting him. Um, you know, I listened to every game. And again, I started in 1977 as a 10-year-old listening to the Blue Jays games. And I met Tom, I would guess, in 1991, maybe 92, somewhere around there. So, um, you know, I've been listening to him for a long time. Uh, and, and I was nervous. Uh, I really admired him. I loved his work. I thought he was great. He'll always be the guy who, when people ask me, you know, who was your guy as a broadcaster, as a kid, it was always Tom. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was nervous. I was uh, very nervous to meet a few people at the beginning. You know, my favorite athlete of all time was Daryl Sittler, the Hall of Fame captain of the Maple Leafs in the 70s, meeting him the first time and the second time and the third time was, was nerve wracking for me. But Tom was somebody I was nervous to meet the first time. 
Now, over the course of your career, you've had the chance to call, you mentioned, you know, football, basketball when you were in university, uh, now basketball, baseball. Is there one of those sports that you enjoy calling more than the other? They each come with their own challenges, but is there one that just really gets you excited when you get in the booth? I, I would say, you know, as a, if I go back to my teenage years, just as a fan, I was a four-sport guy, hockey, baseball, basketball, football. I liked tennis a little bit. I never really watched auto racing. I never watched golf. Uh, I never watched boxing. I was, you know, there was no UFC back then. I was a four sport guy and I easily could have wound up doing football and hockey professionally instead of baseball and basketball. Um, it's just where the opportunities presented themselves to me that I wound up doing baseball and basketball. So uh, I, I love all four. I mean, I did a little bit of hockey back in the nineties towards the beginning of my career and just love hockey. And again, had things gone differently, I, I, you know, maybe I'm uh, a hockey announcer uh, for the last 25 years. So I, I don't know that any of them gets me more excited than the others. I mean, really, if you, you know, if you take Western out of the equation, because that was a zillion years ago, I've been a two-sport guy in my career, baseball and basketball. And I've done NBA and college basketball, much more college. But um, I, I love them all. I, you know, when I get to go to a place like North Carolina or Kentucky or Kansas or Duke, to do a basketball game. I don't know how it gets more exciting than that. And, you know, going to Fenway Park, Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field, or my home ballpark at Rogers Center, you know, it's, uh, uh, I love doing that too. So, you know, I get asked a lot, do you like one of the, do you like baseball more than basketball, basketball more than baseball? To me, it's 50-50. And, and I feel very lucky that I have two different seasons. You know, I finish one and I start the other, I finish the other and I come back to the first. And that, that keeps it all pretty fresh for me. Uh, in, in the most recent summer, summer of 2019, you had a, a really awesome chance to get to call a ball game with your son. Uh, just tell me a little bit about that experience and how special that was, not only for you, but him as well. Yeah, so my son, Ben, um, was the voice of the Barry Baycats in the Intercounty League. Uh, he did that for two summers, and uh, I had some time off on a day where he was working. I wasn't working. And it might have been around Father's Day. I, don't, I can't remember if it was around Father's Day or not, but it, it was actually my idea uh, where I said to him, hey, bud, if, uh, you know, if this doesn't, if I don't cramp your style too much, how about if the old man comes up and does a game with you? And he said, sure. So um, we drove up together from Toronto to Barrie and, and called the Baycats game. He gave me some help on, you know, where to, where to research things about the Intercounty League. It's a little bit easier to find information about major league guys than it is intercounty league guys. So Ben helped me with my prep uh, and he was the lead guy. We kind of did uh, what Tom and Jerry did on the radio and what Wagner and Wilner do on the radio where we alternated. So Ben did uh, the first and second. I did the third and fourth. He did the fifth and sixth. I did the seventh and eighth and he did the ninth. Um, and when he was play by play, I was color. When I was play by play, he was color. And it was really, really fun. It was very cool. Um, it's very fun for me um, that one of my kids wants to get into um, this business, although it was 100% his idea. Um, and, and I actually tried to talk him out of it a couple of times to say, you know, it's uh, the business has changed a little bit and it could be challenging. Um, but he's had his heart set on this from the beginning. He's an absolute sports nut and he's good. Um, I, think he's got, I think he's got a chance. He calls a nice baseball game. And we had a great time that day. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun for me. It was a very enjoyable day to be his dad. Anyone who's ever ridden home with their parents from like a hockey game or anything, you know, the whole way home, they're just grilling you about what you did wrong. Do you have a couple notes for uh, for Ben on the way home that night? About what he did wrong? Yeah. 
No, anything I don't, to improve? I don't think so. No, I don't. I, I don't think so. Uh, maybe one or two, but um, you know, he asked me for help, and I don't. If I give him some advice or constructive criticism, I try to make it, you know, just one thing. There's lots of time for him to learn. Um, so I know I, I, I didn't grill him, and and uh, uh, I, I might have done one or two. And he's very good that way. He's always been good whether it's as a broadcaster or I coached him in baseball for many years, like he wanted to hear what he need, needed work on. He, you know, he didn't need praise about what he was good at. Everybody likes praise, but he didn't need it, um, you know, as much as most people do, I think. So um, yeah, I might've given him one or two tips and, and, but I, I, I know he's okay with it because uh, as he continues on, he's a student at Syracuse now and he's doing some stuff at Syracuse, you know, he'll send me, uh, things that he's doing and ask me to listen to it before he puts it out, that sort of thing. So uh, I, I know I'm not beating him up too bad if he keeps coming back to me. Uh, so Dan, what's it been like to get back into the booth with Buck? I know when you broke in in 95, Buck was the guy beside you. What's it been like? I know for a lot of Jays fans, it's been great to hear you guys back together. Has it been a lot of fun being in the booth with Buck again? Oh yeah. And it's like riding a bike. I mean, so the last time we worked together was 2000 because he became the manager in 2001. And then the next time we worked together after 2000 would have been 2016. I don't think we worked together in between at all, but we always had a, a real comfort zone with each other. Just a real, I think a really nice chemistry, which sometimes you have, sometimes you don't, sometimes you can kind of fake it and force it and Sometimes you can't, but we've always had a really good natural chemistry. Um, and, you know, the last few years, too, it's been it could be me and Buck or me and Tabby or Buck and Tabby. We've all been kind of rotating around. Um, but this year, in, uh, in part due to the pandemic and the situations that that caused, um, Sportsnet just decided to, to make it me and Buck. And it's felt like 1995 all over again. And, um, you know, that, that's a credit to him. Um, you know, he's used, been used to doing a lot of play by play the last, you know, since I left. Um, but the way it worked out when they decided it was going to be me and him, obviously, is that he would all, you know, he would be the, the analyst all the time and I would do play by play. And it's been great. It, it's been, you know, we can complete each other's thoughts. We're thinking the same thing a lot. And I think at times we're serious and focused on the game. And at times we're laughing and having fun. And um, I hope people are enjoying it. It's, uh, it's very fun to work with them. Let's. Like it's so when Buck was doing the play by play, it was like he he was caught in calling the game and he didn't didn't get get into those stories or kind of breaking down. And I think that's what's really cool is that you kind of take the play by play and he has the opportunity to break down pitches, break down catchers, break down all these things and make the stories that he didn't have the the chance to before. So I I mean it's my favorite broadcast to listen to pretty easily. I appreciate that. And and, and he is I mean he is a phenomenal analyst. And he's got 50 years in the game. You know, he's got more knowledge and information and stories than anybody I know just about. So, um, and I've always felt as a play-by-play -play guy, my biggest job uh, is to bring information out of the analyst, help the analyst get all that great information that they've got on the air. And it's, Buck just makes it so easy. Now, we talked a little bit earlier on about, you know, uh, some of your heroes growing up, some of the guys you like to listen to. Is there a guy, a broadcaster that you haven't had the chance to work with that is someone that you're still, you know, you really want to get the chance to call a game with them, whether it's basketball, baseball? Uh, I don't know. I've been, I've been so lucky, you know, whether it's Buck, whether it's Aaron Boone, whether it's uh, Oral Hershiser, 
uh, Dick Vitale, Jay Billis, who I work with on the college basketball side. I've been so lucky to work with so many great people. Um, you know, a, a, a good friend of mine is John Smoltz, and uh, I've never called a game with him. He works for Fox. I work for ESPN, but I always thought it would be fun to call a game with Smoltzy. I think we'd have a good time. Uh, a lot of people think we look alike because we're both bald guys with beards, so uh, that people would get confused. Um, but I, I, I think that would be fun. Um, that would that would be about it to to be honest with you he's the he's the one that i think of but uh i tend to focus more on you know what i have been able to do and who i have been able to work with rather than what i haven't been able to do or who i haven't been able to work with but if i had to pick one i'd probably pick Smolty. it's there's this trend in baseball where it's former players and former managers that are coming into the booth with you be it aaron boone be it um a-Rod, be it whoever. Now, Buck's different because he's been in the game for so long, but do you, does your job change if it's an ex-player or manager beside you versus another uh, radio personality or TV personality? No, in TV, it's always an ex-player. Uh, you never have a TV broadcast with two play-by-play guys. So uh, I've done a lot more TV baseball than I have radio, and all the radio baseball I've done has been with an ex-athlete as well, uh, just about all the radio baseball I've done. So no, I'm I'm a hundred percent used to having uh, an ex-player or an ex-manager behind me, um, and you know it could be a player like Chris Singleton, it could be a manager like Terry Francona, Kurt Schilling, John Cruck, Pat Tabler, uh, whatever. So no, it, it's um, if I did a TV broadcast with another play-by-play guy, that'd be that would be different for me. So no, I I, I think ninety percent of play-by-play guys are very comfortable having ex-players or ex-managers. Uh, beside them they're you know they're the ones who have been on the field they're the ones who have been in the dugout and they're the ones who can tell us stuff that we don't know another question uh this one kind of you know suited to more some of guys that maybe want to be in your role or do something similar to what you do when they grow up what kind of advice do you have for people getting into the business obviously it's changed a whole lot since you started and and did your first play-by-play back in 95 but what kind of advice do you have for someone trying to break in right about now well, uh, the first thing I would say is be prepared to make sacrifices. And whether the sacrifices mean um, you don't make any money or whether the sacrifices mean you have to move or whether this is, you know, to another city or the sacrifices could be working overnight shifts or weekends. Um, there are a lot of sacrifices that have to be made uh, as you get into the business. Uh, and any, there are a lot of people who want to get into the business. So you got to make sacrifices to... Uh, got to do whatever they ask you to do. Uh, that's one. The second thing I would say is be a really good team player. Uh, I always tell my son, I don't need to tell him anymore, but I tell people, um, you know, doing a broadcast is like a team sport. Buck is my teammate. Hazel May is my teammate. The producer, the director, the statistician, they're my teammates. I'm their teammate. And it's a team sport, just like the sport that we're covering. Um, the broadcast isn't about me. It's about all of us together putting out the best show that we can that we can put out. So um, I, I would say that's a big one. And then the last one I would say is be prepared to work very hard. Again, because it's the kind of field where so many people want to get into it, you got to find a way to stand out from the crowd a little bit. Uh, and whenever you're asked to do something, do it, and then do it a little bit better, and then do a little bit more, and then go back and say, what can I do next? Um, you, you need a work ethic. You know, everybody who's sitting at home they watch the games on TV and they just see the three hours, the final product. And there's a ton of work that goes into it behind the scene. I always make the analogy. It's like, if you go see a movie or a concert or a play, you're seeing the finished product. 
but there's a lot of stuff that you don't see that went into getting it to that stage. So uh, be prepared to work hard as well. There's a, there's a lot of work, a lot of preparation that goes in behind the scenes. So you've been training your whole life to call sports, but you had the opportunity, I guess, to call something that was more of a, a social, um, let's say dilemma when uh, the night that uh, bin Laden was killed. It, what was that like making that call and how tough was it to, to kind of take something where sports isn't supposed to be all about politics. It's supposed to be a way to get away from it, but it obviously bled in. Yeah, it, that was surreal. That was one of the, the, the most surreal nights of my career without question. You know, I'm in Philadelphia doing a baseball game and all of a sudden in the seventh inning or eighth inning, whatever it was, uh, we start getting this news story. So that's not something I am trained to do or was trained to do. And it's not something you can anticipate happening that the world's most wanted human is going to be captured and killed while you're on national television in front of two or three million people. Um, so it, it was a, it was a tricky one. I had some help from the people in the truck, our producer, you know, because as the news is developing, the game is still going on too. So we're trying to balance both sides of it. Uh, you know, give justice to the, to the news story, but also call the baseball game, uh, as silly as that sounds. And we kind of straddled the line between both for the next couple of hours. The game wound up going like 13 innings or something. So um, it, was, it was challenging. I had Bobby Valentine behind, beside me in the booth that night, and he was terrific. He had been the manager of the Mets at the time of 9-11, and he lent great context and perspective to the stories that night. And for that, I will uh, forever be grateful. Um, but it was, I, you know, I won't lie. It was, <laughs> it was a challenging night and, uh, I just tried to play it safe, not make mistakes, tell people to go to their new, you know, their ABC news station to, uh, to find out more. And then it just became kind of a wide ranging world, uh, conversation over the next uh, couple of hours, but it was, it was tricky. Now, one final question before we, uh, before we let you go a little bit on the brighter note, the blue Jays right now, very exciting to watch how, how awesome is it to see these young guys coming up for the Blue Jays? And, and not necessarily right now, obviously, in the playoff push, but in the future years, you know, in the years coming up, how good do you think these Jays teams can be? I think they've got a chance to be very good. And, and like you said, they're fun now. They're, they're good now. They're not great. They're flawed. They make a lot of mistakes, but they, they are resilient as anything, and they find a way to compete and win more often than they're losing. But I think about, you know, going forward, a season where Bobachet is healthy the entire time. Uh, and a season where maybe Vladdy, it clicks, and he turns into the Guerrero that we've all expected, and a season where Nate Pearson becomes the Nate Pearson we've been told to expect. You know, that's the crazy thing. Those three guys are supposed to be the absolute core of this team, as young as they are. One of them's been hurt most of the year. One of them's had an okay season, and one of them only made four starts before he went on the injured list. So, yeah, 2020 is fun, but 21, 22, 23 – with those three guys, uh, with Guriel, if this is really Teoscar Hernandez, if this is really Rowdy Telez, you know, their lineup has a chance to be great. There's more pitching coming from the minors. I love what I've seen from guys like Julian Merriweather and Thomas Hatch. They're going to be a part of the future. Uh, they've got a chance to be really good in the next few years. And as somebody who calls their games, it's pretty exciting. Awesome. Well, uh, we thank you for joining us today, taking time out of your day to uh, come and talk with us. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Hey, fans, this is Voice Guy. Smitty and Mitty wanted me to let you know that you can have your ads pop up for their listeners. You have a brand. 
a beautiful, prospering brand. But you want to get the reach out there and have these fine listeners drink your Kool-Aid. You even have me, the voice guy, who can voice out your ads. If you want this done, please email show at gmail.com. That's show at gmail.com. Now back to the Smitty and Mitty Show. Boom. 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 Dan Shulman, you're back with the Smitty and Mitty Show. After listening to that silky smooth voice for a couple minutes. It's really nice to talk to Dan. What what an amazing guy. Like, Okay, here we go. Let's do this. We had one hell of a time even getting him on this morning. <laughs> yeah, it was an absolute process to figure out everything this morning as far as, you know, technical stuff goes. Uh, computer goes down about half hour before we're scheduled to talk to Dan. And then, you know, finally we figure everything out. And then there's audio issues. Just for the record, we haven't had any issues leading up to this week. And of course, the day that we have our biggest guests to date so far, everything just goes down the pooper. Terrible morning. <laughs> Terrible morning. Right down uh, the pooper. But we're, we're back now and, and a great talk with, with Dan Shulman. Shared some great stories. Talked a little bit about the Blue Jays. Um, just a great guy. I just want to hear him tell stories. Like, he's got so many. He he called um, the Steve Bartman incident. He was uh, doing ESPN play-by-play. He was there for the uh, the Carter home run. He was there for the Bin Laden. He was there for um, the Dave Freeze. That's who it was, Dave yep. Freeze, for the down to the last strike. First time it's ever been done in, uh, in Major League history. He's been there for some huge events and... Yeah. I just want to hear him tell stories. I just want to listen to him. Some huge events, and like you, you listed off a few of them there. And he mentioned in that interview we had with him, the Joe Carter story. Imagine being stuck in an elevator. Well, that's going on. <laughs> For the biggest, oh, the biggest moment goodness, in Blue Jays man. history. I'd be freaking out. What, what do you think? What's a bigger moment, the Carter home run or the Bautista flip? I don't think we asked him during the interview, but overall, like just uh, fantastic moments for the Blue Jays. To me... I wasn't alive for the Carter home run, but even I will probably still say the Carter home run. I mean, you won the World Series. It was a World Series home run. It was a World Series winning home run. The Blue Jays, uh, Bautista home run, not nearly as big of a moment, but uh, still nonetheless huge for the Blue Jays. It's just a different era, right? So it it just inspired a whole different era of Blue Jays fans. It was just, I remember, do you remember where we were? Because we were together. Yep. (laughs) We were in our residence just watching uh, the game, and we had those stupid updates from the MLB. Yeah, I don't know if it was you or Kevin that had the update, and you saw the update, and you just went, "Oh my god!" And yep. We just sit there, and we saw the swing and a drive deep left field, and I ran yep. out into the hallway. There was about twenty people running up and down the hallway screaming. It well, was... it wasn't until the home run that we realized that we weren't the only people on the floor watching <laughs> yeah. the game, and then we all went into the common room after to watch the rest of the game, and eventually the rest of the uh, the playoffs as well. But yeah, just. An unbelievable moment. I think the Carter home runs bigger in the grand scheme of things, but I think, like you mentioned, like I said, different eras inspired different Blue Jays fans. Both of them, top two in my mind, Blue Jays moments. What would the third be? First World Series. Oh, that's actually a question I wanted to ask, and I completely forgot. What, was the, what do you think that was the better call for a home run, the Nixon bunts or the uh, touch a ball, Joe? Uh, that's a tough one. Like you said, I, I 
it's a walk-off home run to win the World Series. That doesn't happen very often. But I think in terms of bigger moments, for the first time, I'm just asking the World call Series alone. going. Just, just call, call alone. alone. Call alone. I'm going with Carter's, Carter's home run just because it's a walk-off. I used to listen to the Nixon um, call or Nixon bunts. I used to listen to that call every game before I w- was pitching. Like I, I would have my headphones on doing my warm-up, and that would be the last thing I'd listen to before I got in the mound. Fires me up. You just love fielding bunts off the mound? It's just something I can never do. Is <laughs> <laughs> they don't move well. Big cat on the mound don't move very well. Uh, moving on now, NBA. Toronto Raptors season comes to an end in the bubble. Is this upsetting for Blue, or, uh, Raptors fans? Of course it is. Can we sit here and say that it was a successful season? What are your thoughts? Season-wise, nobody expected them to be where they were. They finished second in the conference. They had the highest winning percentage ever in Raptors history. Nobody expected them to be where they were, but the way that they lost that game, I think it's going to leave a sour taste in a lot of Raptor fans' mouths. Like it, it, was, it was tough to swallow because there were so many things I think went wrong that they did to themselves. Yeah. That game was within reach. It was certainly within reach, and, and like you said, I think it's going to leave a sour taste for Raptors fans, especially during this off season, moving towards next season. But the fact that they lost their star, they lost their guy after winning the championship, and then they go out there, and like you mentioned, they won the highest percentage winning percentage in franchise history, and then, you know, an earlier playoff exit than they would have liked. I still think... But really, it was the Eastern Conference season. semifinal. Right. And they went around, and they went to seven. And, they, and that's not to take anything away from the Boston Celtics, who played a very good series. And they were the better and, team, and they're I gonna put up a And be- they're going to put up a good fight. I think they were the better team out of the two. I think the Raptors were the worst team. Worst team. I think it was pretty close. But I think the Raptors were the worst. The best team won. But the Raptors were just there. They were there, and there was... I don't want to blame Siakam, and I don't want to blame Nick Nurse, but I have an inclination to blame the two of them. Uh, Like, my girlfriend saw for the first time what it was like to have a true sports fan in the room, because I (laughs) almost went through the table. Yeah, yeah. It was, and like you said, uh, frustrating, I think, is is the key word there. You You want to do this? Like, okay... Why why is Siakam even on the floor? He had Couple such turnovers. a bad series. He had I think he had three turnovers in the fourth quarter alone. And all it was was they were throwing the ball down. Um, he was posting up. They were throwing the ball down to him. And he was faking to his right, spinning to his left, and with a fadeaway or an underhook. And sometimes he'd make it, sometimes he wouldn't. But more times than not, he gave the ball away. He hurt them greatly. And the only time that they were getting on a bit of a run was going small with Norm or even Matt Thomas. Why was like... I don't see why you couldn't have put Norm on for Siakam. I understand he's your max contract guy. I understand he is the guy you need to get going if you're going to go further in the playoffs and further for the next couple years. But he he hurts you so bad there. It doesn't mean because he's not playing well, it doesn't mean you can't put him on the floor. Marcus Hall wasn't on the floor, and yeah. that that could have cost him the game because I th- I think it was Brown that missed two free throws with about two minutes left. And then Norm Powell fouls because he's the smaller player going up for a rebound. He he has to foul. He doesn't have to foul, but it it was an unfortunate foul because he was smaller. But Gasol and Ibaka weren't on the floor. Why? 
because you didn't trust them. But I don't trust Siakam. So why not go small? Why not give Matt Thomas a chance? He's your best shooter, I think, next to Van Vliet and Kyle. I think they're all pretty much there. So go small around the perimeter, and he gives you a little more speed on defense too because Siakam wasn't even he wasn't even rotating well down to corners I didn't it was really 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 frustrating yeah and you're not alone on that a lot of Raptors fans uh voicing their displeasure with uh not only Siakam but you know coaching staff and the entire Raptors roster after that uh, unfortunate game seven loss where do the Raptors go from here though how do they approach this offseason do they look to try and build what they have or do they look to go out there and try to find a piece to add to the puzzle to put them back up to where they were the previous summer. I don't know where you stand on this, but I don't think Milwaukee's going to move Atitakumbo. I think he's got yeah. another year in his contract, and there's no yep. point in moving him. Yeah. Because you're not going to get back a player of his caliber, so you might as well go with him for a year, load up there, and try and win, which I think... So really, all you have to look at is Van Vliet. Free agent, he's going to get a max contract somewhere. Do you want to give it to him, or do you want him to go to Detroit or Atlanta? And I think, like you said, I, I, there's a lot of people saying that Milwaukee might be moving Giannis. I don't know if that's going to happen. But why in Milwaukee? Like, you're not going to get a player of his caliber. Yeah, and the thing is, as well, is and just to add fuel to the fire over the weekend, Giannis goes out there and unfollows everyone on his Instagram don't know if you saw that. Unfollows every single person on his Instagram except for his family, including all his Bucks teammates, everyone. Unfollows everyone. And, of course, there's people going to look into that and say, oh, he's on his way out. Apparently, he did this the year prior as well. Still was back. So take that for what it is. Do I don't think when... he's on his way out. I think, like you mentioned, whatever's left in his contract, you'll probably see that play out in Milwaukee. No doubt after that, though, that I think – He'll be somewhere else. Do you remember the first year that LeBron left? He unfollowed all the Cavs, all the Cavs fans, all the Cavs players, and everyone was like ripping him apart for it because oh, you grew up being like a Cavalier. They gave you the chance. You're from the state. I don't blame him because that place is an absolute crap hole. Have you ever been there? You ever been to Cleveland? I have. We're getting off topic here, but boy, Cleveland. boy, is it there's a, a dump. Ni- there's a nice stretch. Where? There's a there's, there's a, no a nice even my though, hotel room when it was locked was real nice. It was <laughs> it was something like a hundred years ago the lake would go up and in, in like it would go up in flames every couple of years <laughs> or every couple of months just because it was so dirty. Yeah, Cleveland. Uh, there's there's a lot of nice people from Cleveland, but there is a, a whole lot going on in Cleveland that makes me stay away. Went there for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay, that's one. Yep. Like, even we were driving in, and you kind of go over this little hill, and when you get over the hill, you can see the city, and I was just like, where are we? <laughs> like, this looks like, this looks like eight mile the city. Yep. And then you get over the hill, and then the Brown Stadium is right there, and you're like, oh my god, we're in Cleveland. Like, the stadium is yep. the nicest part of the whole place. Yep. And uh, not to take away from, you know, because I think, and when I talk about that nice area, it's literally, what is it now? It used to be progressive. I don't know what the yeah. ballpark is now. And then, you know, they got the Cavs arena, arena right, right there, beside. Yeah. That area, kind of downtown, is all right if you don't go there after midnight. But other than that, you know. Anyways, back on topic here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Giannis is going to go to Cleveland. Uh, but I, I do think he'll be on uh, I do think he'll be on his way out um, moving forward in the coming years. Uh, definitely will test free agency. Um 
But for the Raptors, do you go after him? I don't know. You, I think, like you said, build on this year into next year. See where you are. Go go step by step. You need to resign Van Vliet. I think Kyle's entering his last year. He's older. He's an older guy. Um, you, who knows what he can give you? He didn't give you a whole lot during the season. He gave you more playoffs. Yeah, so I think they need to go out and they need to re-sign Van Vliet because you're probably going to lose Kyle. You can Matt Thomas was a good piece for you with Norm, so one of those two can come into your starting five when a couple years down the road when when Lowry is gone. Does Antetokounmpo? I'm even saying his name right. Greek. Greek guy. I just um, call him Giannis. <laughs> if Giannis is he going to make that big of a difference? He could. I think he's a. I think he's an elite caliber player. You don't win the MVP for not being an elite caliber player. But do I think it's worth the super max contract that he's going to get? Well, he can. They can only give him a max. They can't give him the super max. Yeah. Well, he's uh, apparently going to get the super max contract in well, Milwaukee. The, the offer is going to be there. It's just does he want to stay there? They they've moved off some pieces that would help him win the championship and kind of pushed all in just on him. And they cleared out some caps. They're not. They cleared up some space so that they can pay him that Supermax. I don't know. I don't see him staying in Milwaukee. I think that's pretty much off the table. I think he is tired with being there and having a great season and losing. So he's probably gone from there. I don't think the Raptors are the spot for him, though. No. Um, anyways, while we're still on the NBA, um, both our brackets are basically... I wasn't even done with... Both like, our brackets oh, are gone, Mitty. Yours is completely Powell. gone. I could have went on Powell. I'm going to do it to take your money in our bracket challenge. Fine. Your bracket's done. No, it's we not. Got left I can still, we can tie. Most we can do is tie, and that's if the it's Clippers we go all suck. the way. We both picked Milwaukee, uh, and... I didn't pick... I, oh, yeah. I think we both... All I have left is the Clippers. I need the Clippers to win Toronto a championship. Milwaukee was our East Final. Yeah. Both of us took Milwaukee, Toronto, East Final. Both of those, wrong. Yeah, and I had uh, the Rockets. You have the Rockets and Clippers in the West. I have the Lakers and Clippers. Did you see so what, I'm, I'm Russell on, Westbrook? I'm perfect on the West. Yeah, I did. Seem to go oh, after uh, who was it? it? Oh, it was Rondo's, Rondo's brother. Rondo's <laughs> brother on the sidelines, getting into it a little bit. Basketball man in the bubble doesn't change. <laughs> He's just looking around, going, "Who is that? Who is that?" <laughs> oh, it doesn't change. Um, but yeah, move uh, the the bracket. Uh, um, we didn't talk about it with the Raptors. The seeding home team mean yeah, anything that, in the playoffs weird? with the bubble? Did you, like. The, the home, home team, team didn't win home, one game. The quote-unquote home team didn't win a single game in that Raptors series. Do you think it changes anything in basketball, especially when you're playing in a bubble? No, not in a bubble. It was just it's a weird thing that happened. But uh, like they obviously they changed sides of the court, so maybe it was better shooting from one side of the court. Who knows? Maybe it was just a better maybe look on that one side. Even still, you're changing it up halfway through the game. But you get that last look. You know, the fourth quarter, you get the look yeah. to the good side. Maybe who knows. It's interesting, for sure, that the home team didn't win a game in that Raptors series. Um, anyways, moving on. NFL kicking off today. We're recording on Sunday mornings, early Sunday afternoon. It's NFL Sunday. We've got some food cooking up, and uh, we're about ready to watch some football. But things started up on Thursday night with a really interesting way to watch football. Some fans in the stands, not a whole lot. Was that weird? It wasn't not weird. Is it more weird to watch that than an empty stadium? Like, what's... I guess we'll see today because there's only two stadiums that, that have some fans in it, right? It's there and it's Jacksonville because Florida doesn't give a – they don't care. They don't care at all. They'll let anyone in. 
Um, so we're going to see that difference. I actually didn't notice too much of a difference watching the Thursday Nighter with some fans because they they were pretty loud and they were pretty good. Um, is the yeah. NFL – sorry to interrupt. Is the NFL still pumping in noise? In, in They didn't there, but I think they are – like in with the, partial in the crowds, empty places? yeah, in the empty places they will be. Are they pumping it in when they have the partial crowds as well to add to it? I don't think so. I don't think they are because I remember the announcers specifically mentioned that we're not doing anything for the crowd noise here. This is the crowd, so I don't think they're doing anything with partially uh, empty stadiums. I think the only difference really is going to be for one, you're probably going to have less um, false starts, less offsides. Because you're going to you're going to be able to hear the count, hear right? You're going to yep. hear the count. You're not going to there's not going to be a crowd noise to uh, to distract you, um, and and uh, special teams field field goals. I think I think that's going to make a difference for the kickers because there's just less of a distraction. It's just practice for them, right? Yeah. So I think that's only it. But what did you think about the Kansas City fans booing the moment of silence? Yeah, and the uh, the unity where they all linked arms. I don't it's, think it's a good look for them. No, it, it wasn't a good look for the NFL at all. I don't know. NFL, Kansas City, their fans, not a good look. At what point do they just not televise it? Right. It's broadcast, right? They were broadcasting. They were showing it. And, of course, like you said, they have that uh, that real crowd noise, and you got the real booing in there. Not a good look for the NFL. Yeah, well, not a good look for Kansas City specifically. I think the NFL actually came out pretty well. They, For a association that didn't do a whole lot for um, for Kaepernick when, when all that was going on. They were actually pretty strongly against him, except for Jerry Jones coming out and just standing with the team. He's standing with the rest of the guys, even as a billionaire. Whatever. That looked fake. So they didn't do very much for the Kaepernick thing, and they actually looked pretty good, I think, with you know the T-shirts, the helmets, the messages, the commercials. They looked, they looked fine. Kansas City did not come off at all. And do you think that's going to hurt them? Because, I mean, like you mentioned, not every single team has fans going to their games this year. Kansas City is like, hey, we'll let you in. We'll let partial fans in. And then that happens. That's not looking good. And I think some other teams might look at that and say, do we want to bring fans in if this is what's going to happen? Because that's a bad look for us. And not to profile states or anything like that, but somewhere like Texas where they're probably going to lean one way versus the other. Um it's going to be, I don't know, it, it'll be interesting to kind of see, but it's not, I'm kind of scared about it. I don't, do you think they'll do it? Do you think they would if they had crowd? I think they could now because it's not, nobody's going to be there to, to say anything different. So they yep. can make their messages, which is, is a message that needs to be said. But with fans in the stands, I don't know how a place like, we're, we're obviously profiled, but the more southern states, I don't see how they do that. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, and of course, uh, we get set here for uh, NFL Sunday for Sunday of the year, and it will be really exciting to to get to watch football again. I'm excited, it's, my Bills, baby! It's going to be Bills Jets. Bills Jets coming on um, pretty shortly here for us, but uh, it's going to be exciting. I think for a lot of people, and a lot, a lot of people, we've kind of got back to normal with sports starting, but I think with football coming back, bringing that normal back in for a lot of people. It'll be fine. You're not a big football guy, so I made you join the uh, the fantasy league with me this year just yeah, so I you had somebody goal. to watch. Your team, it's rough. It's, <laughs> it's rough. Uh, yeah. I don't it's think you were just hitting names, I think. It's probably one of those ones where like the Yahoo Fantasy gives you an A-plus on your draft because all you did was pick the highest player. 
Mm-hmm. You didn't go down the draft board at all. I like. I went down name. a few times. Yeah, but just because you like the guy's name, you knew nothing about him. Nope. Looking off the Yahoo stats. <laughs> like I said, I, I'm to be honest with you, I'm not a big fantasy guy in any sport. Football. It's a lot to uh, yeah. football. Football is my favorite because it's just you can you only have to set your lineup once. Yeah, it's just yep. Sunday and make sure your Thursdays. I'm, Mondays in, a, I'm in a fantasy baseball man, and I'll be honest with you, I hate it. it I have to check my roster every yeah. day if I want to do well. And now I'm in I'm in one where it's not a weekly matchup. It's one of those continuous roll ones, and I'm down a bunch, so I haven't even checked in weeks. That's I'm not going to come back we, from yeah. that. If you're down, I'm not going to come back from that. I think I'm in second place, so I check it every time just because I'm in second place, right? But I think yeah, football is the way to go because it gives you a reason to watch the games if you're not a fan. Like, oh, your your team only plays once, right? So if you're not a fan, then uh, it gives you a reason to watch. Uh, and I'm, like I said, well... I'm excited. I love football season, so here we go. Here we go. And on that note, uh, well, we might as well say goodbye and get ourselves ready for some uh, Sunday afternoon NFL football. Is it too early for a pint? Not too early for a pint. Everyone have a safe one. Enjoy. Uh, big thanks to Dan Showman for joining Huge us today. Huge thanks to Dan. Huge thanks to Dan for you joining us today. You think I came across how much of a fan we were of his, considering uh, we kept just gushing? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> We told him at least three times how excited we are and how nervous we are, so I think he got the point. <laughs> I think he was a bit over it by I the think, end. Yeah, I think he was done with us by the time <laughs> the 25-minute uh, interview was done. Uh, anyways, though, thanks to him. Uh, another big thanks to our uh, producer, the man behind the board, Kevin Hillsden, for producing some intros and, and uh, getting us in contact with some people. Big thanks, Kevy. And, uh, yeah, that'll end it for us here on Episode 5 of the Smitty and Mitty Show. I'm going to check the quiche. Got to go check the quiche. Get the wings out of the oven. It's football time. Woo! Thank you.